Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your new Bub B, and this... This isn't a... This isn't a digital book tour at all, is it, Adrian? No, it's not. <laughs> where, where the fuck am I? <laughs> <laughs> no, in fact, I believe this is the pre-read for Do You Dream of Terror 2 by Temi O. Uh, and I am, welcome to Spectology, I am your host, Adrian, and I am joined by B and Estelle. Uh, today, two new guests on the pod, well... One new guest and one old guest slash current host on the podcast. Um, I do a lot. (laughs) um, B, do you want to do like a really quick intro of yourself? Yeah. Um, You may have heard me before on this podcast. If you only listen to the main ones talking about uh, Sam Delaney back in December, uh, which was a really fun conversation. Uh, I love that. Uh, You may also know me as the person who hosts most of the uh, digital book tour episodes which have been slower coming recently, and I apologize, but I have been very busy, um, you know, calling out my employer for anti-blackness and, uh, you know, running another podcast that hasn't started yet about like a bunch of queer friends playing tabletop role-playing games and critiquing them. Uh, I and can't wait to hear could, that one. Yeah, it's going to be really fucking good and no <laughs> one's going to listen to it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, welcome to my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Minus maybe the really good part. <laughs> I mean, that is down to my friends mostly. Uh, but yeah, that's yeah. I got a lot of stuff. Go check me out on Patreon. I, I read a cooking blog that no one reads also. <laughs> I read it. It's very good. I read it as well. So there's that. Awesome. I got two readers. <laughs> <laughs> and Estelle. And you, you listener. You yeah. listener. You could be the third. <laughs> oh, yeah. Please, please be. Um, Estelle, do you want to do a quick introduction of yourself as well? Uh, sure. Um, my name's Estelle. Uh, I guess if you, my biggest project right now is Abolish Time, if you've heard of it. Um, it's most, it's kind of like a zine writing project for the most part that I uh, run on Instagram. I also have a Patreon where you can support me. Uh, yeah, uh, I feel like my relationship with like sci-fi has kind of stemmed from me working in bookstores. Ah, cool. Uh, Like, I think for the longest time in my life, I didn't think I liked fiction, period. And I just, I needed some time to be introduced to science fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, like, Isaac Asimov was, like, the first stuff I got really into. And I, like, read one, like, Kindred by Octavia Butler once. But it was when I started working in a new bookstore, like not used books, like all new titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like dealing with all the employees who were referencing these like classic literature texts. I'm like, I'm not going to spend all my time trying to catch up to have that knowledge base. I'm just going to read contemporary sci-fi as it comes out. And that'll be my area of expertise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um I feel like so that's I, a good niche to be in as the, also the one I've chosen for this podcast. So <laughs> welcome. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, I recently exited the book selling life, but I still am super inspired by sci-fi and hope to write my own sci-fi book. Someday. Awesome. Um, that's me. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like Estelle is is underselling how fucking dope Abolish Time is also like a hundred percent an incredible resource on like transformative justice and just like yeah right yeah the work she does there is is important just straight up and uh, we will link to that in the like show notes immediately and thank you for like plugging up front I always ask people to do that instead of like at the end um no one listens to the end of these yeah exactly we're gonna who, go for like two and a half hours to that no one does so like plug up front please um, <laughs> um yeah and we'll all link the patreons and abolish time below um but you interviewed Estelle at one point right is that like on is that on your patreon or is that on the uninterpretative that's it's on both it's on my blog and and the patreon yeah we had a long conversation about a lot of things back in the before times (laughs) (laughs) yes um so i'll I'll post that uh in the links as well cool well so today we're here to discuss uh do you dream of terra 2 by temi o a 2019 science fiction book so published just like almost exactly a year ago actually i was looking at it. it was published like 
August 13th and it's what, like August 24th today. So, um, yeah, uh, this is a book that I have not read, but, um, I believe B you suggested it to me. Uh, you two have both read it. I'm sort of curious, you know, I'll go through the book facts in a little bit, but I'm very curious for like a high level, like what's the book about and like who might enjoy it kind of thing. Well, I mean, Estelle is the one who introduced it to me. So if she wants to take this, I'm more than happy to (laughs) cede the floor. Uh, Sure. Uh, I guess the overall premise of the book is that uh, a nearby habitable planet, Terra 2, has been Mm -hmm. discovered um, in an alternate history where the space race happens closer to the beginning of the 20th century um, Mm -hmm. rather than the middle of it. Uh, So... It happens in what would be roughly current day, like the 2010s, um, but like with a wildly different like landscape of space technology. Oh, cool. And there is a mission to habitate, like to terraform, um, send humans to Terra 2. And it's about a 23 year long flight. Um, and they choose, because of the length of the time, they choose uh, teens uh, to be astronauts and go on that journey mm. um, because they'll still have a, a good amount of their lifetimes left as opposed to more seasoned, older uh, astronauts. Right. right. And make it. so the story kind of follows the the candidates, the five, six kids who um, ultimately end up being chosen for this mission. Uh, I think the book flirts with hard sci-fi, but I think it most, I think the meat of it is like the sociological, psychological aspect, some really strong character development that nice. I think reminds me a little bit of like Octavia Butler uh, and that like the focus is what will people do in in these circumstances? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if you just like beautiful prose and yeah. like fast, kind of fast paced stories, this is like the perfect book. Yeah, I was yeah, I was talking with a a friend recently and I I was like I had just started rereading it briefly and was like it it almost flirts with like being like a young adult style like it it has like the young adult styles readability without the um, I I I tend to find a lot of young adult fiction condescending, honestly, um, Mm -hmm. in how it's written, Mm -hmm. like as though it is is like, oh, you couldn't understand if we were speaking with bigger words or more in a more complicated um syntactic style like this book has none of that but it has all of the readability like yeah it is i I said on this call like i read this book a couple months ago it was sometime during quarantine so you know in that miasma um (laughs) and i like picked it up i think i think it was actually right around when i started doing the book tour stuff um i i picked it up in the middle of like you know like I had a couple days to read another book for an interview and I picked it up just being like, Oh, I should read this. Estelle really recommends it. And she's usually right about these things. <laughs> and I, uh, didn't put it down until I went to sleep that night. And then the next morning I woke up and picked it right back up and finished it that day. Wow. <laughs> and it's, yeah. Like 550 pages or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's, it's yeah. not a short book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So that actually brings me to a great little, uh, book fact. Uh, if I can be the one to say that this time. Book facts. <laughs> I don't know if that got picked up on the recording. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, the book is about 500, I think 530-ish pages, something like that. So it's a relatively long novel, which is kind of fun because we've been reading shorter novels recently. And I feel like my brain has finally, you know, gotten unbroken enough to at least attempt <laughs> something a little bit longer. Um <laughs> It was published in 2019, like I said. Um, it's the it's her first novel. It's Temio's first novel. And um, I believe I couldn't find any short stories of hers or anything like that, too. I think it's some of her like first published, f- published fiction at all. Um, at least I was unable to find any published short s- stories of hers. Um, and it did also, it won the American Library Association's Alex Award, which is explicitly given to adult novels that will appeal to younger audiences in addition to older audiences. So it's really interesting you kind of hmm. calling out that, like, you know, it's YA maybe in topic, but not in tone, you know, and then also like adult in like writing style, but 
right? Like also has these, it is, it seems it to be kind of a, like, you know, it got recognition as this crossover style, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, which sounds really interesting. And then it was also an NPR favorite book of 2019. So it got a fair amount of, um, you know, I guess not quite awards. I, one of them is award, but it got a fair amount of a recognition here in the U S even though Tammy is a, um, British author. So she was born in London. Uh, her parents are Nigerian immigrants who I believe still live in London. Um, and uh, I, I will I will plug this on her website. There's this thing if you go if you like hover over her about me section. There's a drop down that says five fun things, and they are indeed five very fun things about her. So I <laughs> uh, I highly recommend. She has like a story about the first time she ever saw snow, and um, a story about how like she grew very like when she was very young, and so she always thought she'd be very tall, but then she like hit five seven and topped out and never like grew any more <laughs> than that. <laughs> um, which you know, I so I I just very fun like little snippets of writing, and if it you know in any way, you know if the book is half as good, I will like, and I'm sure it's even better than those. Like I I'm very <laughs> much looking forward to it because she's a phenomenal and like fun like fun and engaging writer just from that little bit. Um, I think too we should also so this is the pre read for like uh, listeners who don't know we tend not to do. Um, tend to be relatively spoiler free about like the plot of the novel. We'll go over sort of like the blurb worthy stuff um, and otherwise more talk about why you might want to read the book, talk about some of the themes, that kind of thing. And then in the post read, we'll get into the specifics of the book a lot. But um, one thing we do like to do is talk about content warnings um, up front here, uh, just because I think that that can, I mean, hopefully make the reading of the book like a more enjoyable experience if you kind of like know what's coming on um, before you do. So I will let you two, take that whoever wants to say I have not actually read the book and you both have <laughs> yeah I think the um the the first immediate one is um there is suicide in the book like fairly early on um or death depending on yeah um and that's uh yeah a big one mm-hmm. um there's also some uncomfortable depictions of sex fairly early on mm-hmm. um um, there is definitely disordered eating in this book. Mm. Um, that's a which... good call. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Um, and I know it's too, it's also a book that deals with like, you know, a lot of like topics of loneliness and boredom and the sense of like being on this, like really long space trip. And, you know, that's maybe like not normally a thing I'd call out in a, um, content warning, although it seems like, you know, August 2020 maybe a thing to call out a little bit that some people like myself have you know some feelings around um, yeah yeah there's like yeah. definitely themes of like mental health mm-hmm. or, yeah like cool. different disorders I mean nondescript like not DSM necessarily but <laughs> right like mental distress Right. And, yeah. and I think, uh, it, you know, bears saying like Temi was a neuroscience bachelor of science in her undergraduate in London. And so, you know, I, I know there's some of like that kind of perspective on psychology and neuroscience in the book, not just space travel, which is really exciting. Um, cool. Did we talk about like sort of comparative books at all? Like other books that, you know, if you've read X, you might like this, or if you like this, you might like X kind of thing. I am like always terrible at this, but uh, I have one, which is surprising and maybe exclusively uh, a coincidence because like I said, I read this book right around the beginning of the digital book tours and actually um, L. Lamb's book Goldilocks, which I interviewed them about for the first digital book tour, um, definitely uh, shares similarities in terms of like space travel and... um, you know, uh, frankly, like, uh, uh, like quarantine feels is like, uh, <laughs> heavy on both of them also. Like, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think if you, if you enjoyed that conversation and ended up reading that book, you would definitely, definitely, definitely like Terra too. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, for me, it reminds me of, uh, Lilith's brood. The mm-hmm. Octavia Butler omnibus, um, and which I have read, and two books 
as a bookseller, I feel are similar that I have not read. Um, <laughs> would be Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson mm. and uh, Seven Eves. Um, oh, interesting! Right, yeah, Seven Eves was a was a. I read that book. That was a book for sure. <laughs> I think they say, they share a genre, but they're not necessarily similar. Right, because it fits within this sort of like these long term, like I called it generation ship in my notes, but that doesn't feel quite right because it's not actually, as far as I'm aware, like taking place over generations and generations, but it definitely fits in that, you know, really long term, long scale, like people on a ship and the like kind of like battles of space for just like, a, you know, years and decades even. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I have no real comps for this, but I know like other books like that that we've read on this podcast include um, Semiosis and Children of Time, which are also both also about this kind of like going to this other planet and trying to like establish like a home for the human species on an alien planet. Um, I don't know how much that actually comes into play. Like, I don't know if they get to the planet or not in this book, um, but, you know, <laughs> I think those sorts of themes of like, how do we go to another planet? Like, what do we do? Why are we doing that? You know, what is, what is the sort of like purpose of this kind of, you know, exploration or, you know, it's even less exploration because it's not like, Oh, we're trying to discover something new. It's like, we found this thing and we want to go like, take it and make it ours. Um, essentially, mm-hmm. um, which are, I, you know, always have a lot to say about those sorts of stories. Yeah. It's, I, Part of what's interesting about this book is the way Terra 2 is described, um, like, even very early on, is, like, it's basically Earth, except for there's just not any sentient life on it. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it's sentient or sapient. Um, I don't think they ever talk about... Whatever. That's, yeah. I guess, approaching spoiler territory. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, like, I feel like that is that is a a comp thing that I'm just not able to quite grab. Like, I feel like there have been other books that have done sort of a similar thing of like a mirror to earth that is, that is discovered. Right. Um, but I have a sieve of a brain, uh, (laughs) for, for specific things, even, you know, when I'm not in quarantine. So I think one thing the book does well, that distinguishes it like that, like it definitely shares, space in the same genre i think like generation ship is accurate and like as we'll find out like we do hear about different space agencies trying um different ideas one of which does include a generation ship but the thing that i think sets this book apart is i feel she really puts a lot of like painstaking effort into the like sociological resources as well as like the psychological impact of the work. Mm, I think, I think like space travel stuff, like only glorifies space travel. It's like cool ships. This is how we might imagine it. Like this is how Mm -hmm. a colonized solar system might look like. And Temio is like, this is a gruelingly difficult, unprecedented, unprecedented in its challenge, like to the human race. Mm, Yeah. Um, And I feel like that, that's kind of what she centers more than like, you know, how are we going to spin the ship right for five generations? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. But actually, it's, that reminds me a little bit of um, An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon, which we also read last year. And uh, Until We Read Delaney was my like favorite book of last year. And Delaney like swooped in at the last second there. But that that book is also, you know, that set like many generations into the future in a generation ship and is maybe more like in some ways like dystopian and really about like how does this society fully break down. But um, also so much of it is about the like lived experience and the kind of like, you know, like the terror of space and the difficulty of this work as opposed to yeah space is fun which like it's not (laughs) it's cold and scary and lonely and full of radiation (laughs) like deeply does not want humans in it (laughs) yeah and and yeah i think into what estella's saying like it's also this book is also like it's about that but it's also about how um how people then react to that in a group like Mm. and it, it is not it is like yeah it is not uh whatever like the Martian or fucking um, 
the thing even like right it is not like oh everyone in this group has like a little you know uh thing they fit into and that they do and that, that is basically their personality it is like these are each and every one of them full complicated human beings who butt up against each other and develop and like like absorb new ideologies and then abandon them over the course of like yeah interacting with each other it's yeah that's very cool yeah, yeah. B, you, I feel like, you mentioned to me that okay. it was kind of similar to Binti in some way. Is that what you were thinking? Sure. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think, I mean... Because that, like, like, strikes me very Binti-esque, that, like, people are complicated and they, like, change their minds over time and, like... Yeah, I think there's... Uh, I think the thing that I found particularly striking about Binti is it's it's the way it handles trauma um, mm. and, like, and the world building that, like, happens around the edges of that. Um I don't know that like I would comp those exactly uh, with Terra two, but there is definitely a a like depth of humanity that exists in both of them that makes them both excellent books. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, I feel like the the like sort of canon pick here would be Le Guin. Like that's the like if you like Le Guin, you'll probably like right. uh, Terra two. But I like don't like Le Guin and I really like Terra too. So that's, I don't know. Yeah. The characters in this are way more easy to relate to. than (laughs) Fair. I guess, I guess that's not why I read Le Guin, but I do actually really like Le Guin. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that plug in myself of, you know, it was actually one of the things I was kind of thinking about was the sort of, um, left hand of darkness in particular and this feeling of like loneliness and isolation as a part of like travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. Think Dispossessed which... is solid too. It's a solid comparison. Just nice. a lot of like study of yeah, human interactions, cultural differences. Um, that is actually a book I've never read and has been on my like to read list since college essentially. And <laughs> I've never gotten to it. And I keep, I like saw a used copy of it the other day and hearing about it. And I'm like, I really want to like read that finally. <laughs> sounds like uh, if you do the, the old books, December, sounds like you got one of them picked out. Yeah. Right. No, that's not <laughs> a bad one to do. Actually. We were also thinking of maybe doing like out of print books, December. Um, mm. and just like going like, all in on the, you know, how obscure can we go? But, you know, we'll, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. It's like truly make a podcast no one will listen to because they can't even get the book. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy listening to this podcast and and many podcasts about books that I have not read because it's it's interesting to hear people discuss themes of things, even if you don't have uh Listen, I'm about to be on a Vonnegut podcast and they just asked this question and I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't read Vonnegut since like <laughs> fucking 2006, 2004. Wow. That's maybe late. Um, <laughs> I may have stopped reading him earlier than that, but I just reread a Vonnegut book for the first time. Let me tell you, this book is not comparable to Dead Eye Dick by Kurt Vonnegut at all. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've read a bunch of Vonnegut and I don't even know which book that is. So. No one likes it. <laughs> <laughs> of course you choose the book. No one likes to read for the podcast. <laughs> I have, I have bad taste in things. I, I feel like that is a, that is an important caveat. I should have put that up with the plugs. Um, I have bad taste in things, but I feel very strongly about them. No, I so. feel like you have really good taste in bad things. <laughs> Would be, that sounds would be closer to it. <laughs> that sounds compassionate. <laughs> uh, also, very quickly, just sidetracking um, about my taste in things. Uh, I, I am currently uh, drinking a gin and tonic in in honor of Gin Jenny, who Aww. wrote a really good review of uh, Mexican Goth- Mexican Gothic, which is the best book of 2020. Anyway. Dang. Excellent. Shout out to Jin Jenny. <laughs> I will let her know you said that. I'm sure she'll be very happy. I was she she hers was the podcast I was on, kind of moaning about the Hugos for an hour. So uh, <laughs> I said my baby was before we started recording. Um, my favorite podcast, also largely books I haven't read when I listen to <laughs> it. Yep. So who's time to read books these days? Really. <laughs> 
Um, Essential workers. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <sighs> cool. So do we want to talk at all about some of these other like general themes of the book? Like I am, I'm happy to let you two sort of like mold. The, like usually I would be fairly like moderator on this kind of podcast, but you know, I haven't read the book. You all have like, what's interesting. What should we talk about? <laughs> I feel like I have a, a fun fact slash jumping off point into the themes. Perfect. Hell yeah. Um, so yeah, because of her background in neuroscience and creative writing, apparently she spent a decent amount of time uh, like kind of cultivating a club of folks who write more neuroscience focused um, science fiction, like cool. psychological, sci- uh, yeah, psychology focused sci-fi. I can't say I know which authors or like what kinds of writings came out of that, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I thought I thought that was interesting and is part of the reason I like uh, suggested to my old the old bookstore I worked at to stock it because like I was reading about this and you know when I was like eighteen, nineteen, I was sure I wanted to be a neuroscientist and would like discover the truth of like humanity. And so <laughs> I was like seeing coming across the Timmy O book. I'm like, she kind of like did the dream that I no longer have. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was, I felt like immediately compelled towards the book, but um, yeah, like the themes of like psychology, uh, loneliness and boredom. I just, I feel like she really captures like cognition well, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like each character perspective she writes about, I like, I believe, I both believe and understand the character mm-hmm. and like their motivations and like what's weighing on their consciousness and what parts of their past, you know, like flare up in the present. Um, so yeah, I just felt like, you know, it's not hard neurological sci-fi. Like she's not talking about brain structures or even like, you know, like cyber implants or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, they're like just this firm foundation of like the characters are real. Like they feel real because she has this like mm-hmm. underlying understanding of how people think. Mm-hmm. I think that's also like, I, I wouldn't have remembered this except that I just picked the book back up briefly. And like, um, I was, when I was reading it, I was like, this is a really interesting um, structure for this novel. Right. Cause it's like um, it bounces between the sort of the six astronauts, um, but not in a first person perspective it it takes just like a tight third but every chapter is a tight third on a different one of these characters Mm -hmm. um which like i'm not i'm not entirely sure how to tie that in but like i think there's something interesting about how how she gives a sort of full fullness to these characters without having to like rely on you know giving them full giving you full access to their their inner like monologues Mm -hmm. um she she's she pulls back from that just enough that you feel like you're like living with them while you're reading their chapters, but not embodying them in any like Mm -hmm. weird way. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Absolutely. I find that like close third person can almost like get me invested in the thoughts of a character, like more than first person will like first person feels like a character, like talking to me in a lot of ways. Whereas like the close Mm -hmm. third feels like me seeing through the eyes of a character much more i don't know if other people have that sort of like experience but it's something i've thought about i also i really like that structure of oh i hear kitty (laughs) 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 um that structure of like multiple close third person chapter like viewpoint chapter kind of thing like i'm a big fan of that in in books i think it's a really good way of doing things and it's not as prescriptive as second person Right. Yes. Ugh. Second person very <laughs> rarely done well. And even when done well can feel a little bit like, you know, I often get like tired by the end of it. Uh, I don't I don't know if this is actually going to happen, but uh, 
getting through the beginning of Harrow the Ninth has been a very interesting, uh, interesting thing because yeah, it is it is a, a tight second person book uh, oh. for a lot of it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I had I had a really hard time with Gideon the Ninth, Gideon the Ninth, however, however it's pronounced, whichever one it is. Um, I always forget, <laughs> and that sounds even like more, which is so funny because again, like Jin Jenny and so many other people I know, like love those books to death, and I'm like, I don't. Okay, cool. I'm very happy that you like them. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would really love to interview Tamsin Muir if that if that ends right. up happening. And I, I think we would have a very interesting and productive conversation. Right. But well, I am the hold up on yeah. that, so I will I will try to move yeah. that forward. I think I think the world is the hold up on that. Well, that's fair <laughs> enough. Like, you know, things are a shit show at the moment. Um we're just living through them. That's um there's two cats two cats on the stream already yeah yeah i think my mine is like sort of like puddled out on my lap and so my lap is sweaty now because it's really hot in new york city and she's really warm and airy um so it's probably way too much i'll cut that piece at very least <laughs> um yeah i'm also i'm very curious you know having not read the book but like this i you know i just learned because i read this npr interview or review of it which i'll link to because it's a really interesting review um of the novel um right before this episode and the fact that it is this kind of like alternate history or like alternate present situation like that sounds really like I had no idea, you know, I had kind of like heard the basic outline of like, Oh, we find this other planet and we go to it. Like, cool. Sounds like, you know, a lot of science fiction, but this piece of it that like, you know, the, the, like, I guess rocketry revolution happened much earlier than it did in real life and continued to happen. And like, you know, we got better and better at rockets instead of being like, ah, well, you know, we used them to like fight our wars and like, that's good enough for us, which is sort of, you know, what, what happened here in, in, you know, in our bad timeline, um, <laughs> given that we're definitely in a bad timeline. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I would say that <laughs> it seems pretty great out here to me. <laughs> Said Jeff Bezos. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, this is a, such a tangent in like, yeah, I would say like four or five years ago, I followed this guy on Twitter who like, you know, is one of these sort of like weird accounts, which I enjoy following. But he got really into this idea that like the world actually did end in 2012 and we were like living in a simulation since then. And like at the time I was like, mm -hmm. all right, like, you know, he got like more and more into he like wrote a book about it even. And I was just like, all right, this has become such this <laughs> okay. like single thing and it's like no longer as fun. And so I like unfollowed him. But like like the year of our Lord 2020. <laughs> I think about that shit a lot. <laughs> yeah. The simulation huh, theory is pretty popular right now. I think. Yeah. It's like, that's more comfortable than I'm re living real life at the moment. <laughs> I hope it's a simulation. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing the Truman show when I was like 13 or whatever and being like, ah, that's probably true. Like we're all in the Truman. Like, yeah. That's solipsism. We need a materialist science to truly understand. Sorry, Estelle. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually like that uh, reminded me of what I was going to say um, with regard to the rocketry stuff. The like part of the um, great thing about this book, I feel like also aside from the really good characterization and like um, psychology is like in that world building there there is a sort of materialism to it, right? Like, yeah. I think I think it is, like, I don't know if it's explicitly said, but it is, like, deeply implied that part of the reason that, like, the the revolution in rocketry continued is because there was this discovery of, of Terra 2. Mm, like, mm -hmm. there was an object that, like, was like, oh, shit, there is a habitable planet that, like, we could theoretically reach without, you know, too much work. I mean, it's like, whatever, a half century of work or a century of work. But, you know, that's not too much. Right. Um, a lot easier than in real life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, the way it, it takes its premise and doesn't, like, it, it isn't, like, here's the premise that we're going to, like, tell the story about. And then here's the world also over here. It's all woven together in a really, um, really delicate, but, like, really smart way. Right. That's totally. really cool. I feel like, yeah, some of the most, like, gut punching or, like, impactful moments are like the glimpses onto earth 
um, <laughs> throughout the novel. Cause you like, yeah, like she is very seriously considering like the economic and sociological impact of this project and like ranging from the attitudes of astronauts to like politicians on earth. Mm -hmm. They're just mm -hmm. moments where you're like, wow, that's what you think of us, huh? And like, <laughs> you know, being too afraid to disagree really um, just because of like how real it feels. Mm -hmm. The alternate history yeah. premise is very clever because um, she doesn't have to waste much time being like, uh, you know, on our new glass <laughs> iPhones, like in the expanse, <laughs> you know, or like, it's like, it's enough. It allows her to. Oh, did we lose Estelle? Oh, there we go. Oh, yeah. It it like allows her to frame this advanced space travel as as believable and realistic without having to mm. invent a whole like different world, like of like the newest technology we have yet to discover. Right. Right. I'm so. She doesn't have to predict. Like, I'm so curious about the alternate. Like, I want to ask all these questions. Like, did the world wars still happen? Like, is there still climate? I'm like, don't answer any of them because I also want to like read the book. But like, I'm just so intrigued by this as like a you know a premise for this book. I don't know if I've ever read something quite like that. That instead of like starting from now and projects forward, you know, starts from a hundred years ago and projects forward from there to get to like where you want to be now. I think it's a really like clever way of, and I mean, like you two said, doing exactly that of, of, you know, not having to move into the future and to kind of, you know, right. Cause all science fiction is about now ultimately like we don't know the future. We do know the present. And so like to, both make it set right now and also like kind of like tie this, you know, like let's reframe the past even and let's reframe how we would get to a different place now, how we could have gotten there is I think like really clever. And I, I am just very intrigued, like very intriguing. Like I want to read it so badly and like learn all the things and like probably still feel unsatisfied because I didn't learn all of the things. Cause you can't put all the things in a book. And so just think about it all the time. <laughs> I felt, I mean, that is I felt fucked up when I finished the book, I think I read it over yeah. about two weeks and I was like, yeah, I was like in a place. <laughs> excellent um in terms of the uh the going backwards i think you might have been able to hear my my tonic open um going backwards and projecting forwards that is and i i don't mean to impugn this book in any way but like the the thing that comes to mind for me there is steampunk right like, oh right right um the only steampunk novel I believe I've read is, is uh, Sterling and Gibson's, which I, I think is a, is an interesting book. Uh, right. That's the <laughs> one about like Babbage's adding machine or something like that. Right? Yeah. The difference yeah. engine. Right. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. I've never yes. read that. I was very into Babbage in undergrad and like even, you know, like sought out his adding machine the first time I went to London. Cause there's like a big display of it in one of the like London museums. Uh, but I've never read that book. Um, as as I recall, I believe Guy Debord is a is a character in that book, <laughs> and he uh, like throws Molotovs at people. And you know, when I was in college and re reading that book and was really into the Situationist, I was like, this may be the best book ever written. <laughs> 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 and I would have been wrong. <laughs> yeah, there's something like distinctly like not punk about steampunk in particular. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you know, what's what's not punk about adding fucking fake gears to your laptop and just like feeding ne neoliberalism through Victorian aesthetics. Right. I don't I don't follow. <laughs> uh, side plug. Speaking of <laughs> steampunk, I feel like uh the Black God's drums Oh, it yeah. is like really excellent and kind of like turns the steampunk genre on its head. Like, I loved that. Yeah, like just way more engaging and imaginative. Ooh. It felt like they both frozen. 
A hundred percent. And, you know, I don't even like think of that as steampunk in my head because it's actually interesting, like alternate, <laughs> you know, kind of alternate history fantasy that like takes its right, like takes its world building seriously and also, you know, has a story. Um, I absolutely I absolutely like adored that. I think um, you know, I guess this is like spoiler alert for next month, but I believe if all works out, we'll be reading P. Jelly Clark's like latest novel in October because that's getting released in like mid-October and gonna gonna try to make that all happen um since like we have relationships with publishers now because of these works so why not (laughs) (laughs) um and I've been really looking forward to it you do most of the back end stuff there it's don't you know shouldn't credit me for just being the pretty face right you know? <laughs> but i wouldn't have any back-end stuff to do if you didn't actually like do the front-end work which is frankly you know <laughs> i have to go after this edit another podcast i recorded a month ago and have been putting off rec- like editing for a month so that's that's where i'm at with the front-end stuff right now <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> cool so is there anything else we wanted to talk about kind of like in terms of this book i i just recalled a theme it's pretty minor, but it is 100% a through line. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some like magical realism. Like, oh, cool. There's some like spirituality. Um, yeah. That's like a loose reference to Temio's own spirituality, mm-hmm. but it's like very slight. It is not, it's not a dominant theme but it is consistent like it sh- it will show up in every act of the book i think i i like i think i know what you're talking about but could you like expand on that a little bit in you know a non-spoilery way which i know is fucking impossible sometimes i like i'll just <laughs> reference um the story she she tells about herself temio mm-hmm. um in her like at the back of the book in her acknowledgments um i guess it was very difficult to publish this book Mm. Um, and she was like, I think kind of in a existential crisis, like of being unsure if she made the right call. Like, I mean, and I could imagine like you have a bachelor's in neuroscience and MA in creative writing is like, (laughs) which, you know, choose a track. And (laughs) I think it's like, I, I think it's something, um, where it was like kind of her last day that she had in her to like wait or like bank on this. And mm. I think she prayed to God. And I think it was either that night or the next day she got like confirmation that the book was published. Um, mm. And I feel like that, that like ounce of faith, I think she very tastefully incorporates into the story, into the novel that's really cool. I like uh, that a lot. Yeah. As, particularly through one character in particular. I don't know if that that helps me help you be <laughs> <laughs> know what I'm talking about. Uh, um is it Elliot? No, one hundred percent not. It's a Okay. One of the twins. Oh, Juno. It's her sister. Astrid. Astrid. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, um, Sorry. Sometimes you read a book in two days and a lot of it gets all mixed up in your brain and then you do a billion things. Okay. It's like a minor note, but it's intentional. No, it's like super important. I feel like, like, yeah, her, her specific journey. I guess like, is that like, cause I, I feel like we haven't done a good enough job selling this book to the listeners. And I want to like, I want to like re I want to double down and be like, this is like a really, really special book. Um, <laughs> like, and I know it's, it's very, I don't know. It's very easy to listen to somebody be like, ah, I, I like picked this book up and read it in two days, even though it's 500 pages long and be like, ah, oh, that's probably a thing. And it's, you know, a very different experience than actually doing that. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I feel like, I don't know. It's. I kind of want to talk briefly about different characters, or like, so go ahead, Estelle. Uh, just real quick, it's in my like, I think top five novels. Wow. Like, period. Um, yeah. 
for that's for the reader. That's yeah. for you. Here's looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, by all means, well, like, get into the yeah. characters. Yeah, no, I think that's well, perfectly. You know, if someone's listened this far and they like, you know, really don't want to hear that, like, go and pick up the book and read it and come back in, you know, two days when you finished it. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, warnings aside, like, yeah, let's talk about the characters a little. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into like, you know, the ends of their arcs or whatever, but just like mm-hmm. sort of because like because this is so much of the novel, right, is like the, the interplay between characters and how they're set up because like, I don't know, you get like um, you, you start out with six people who are all going to space and you you follow them through sort of their matriculation through this like special astronaut program as they go from like one of, you know, 500 people to one of. 300 to one of 100 to one of 50 to one of six Mm, um mm -hmm. and like you you get like glimpses of the like clickishness of the school and like the the like horrible conditions they are put in to like be able to do this thing because they only have like six years or whatever to you know go from 11 year olds to astronauts who are going to be on a ship for 23 years (sighs) yeah and like colonize a new planet that no like sapient life has ever existed on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and like so when when it like when they whittle it down to the six it i think it does sort of the thing i mentioned earlier where it like you see the individual characters sort of trying to slot the other people into the sort of roles that they will be fulfilling like you know there's the the popular kid who like everyone knew was going to be the like pilot in training and he is mm-hmm. and there is like the twins that we have mentioned who like uh like are very similar but have important differences and so they you get these like these broad stock types but it's not the book giving you stock types it's these teens fitting each other into these stock types because that is like how they can deal with the fact that they are going to be on a ship with six other people and right. basically no one else for two decades, like for literally longer than they've been alive at this wow, point. Oh yeah. And um, quick detail. There will be, there are adult astronauts who accompany them on the flight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, those characters are all super interesting also, but um, like, I feel like, um, I feel like I want to talk about Harry for a second. Who's like the popular kid who is like, you know, was born to be the, the pilot of a, of a spaceship, basically silver spoon, motherfucker, just like, Mm -hmm. just genuinely like terrible to people in the way that popular kids are. (laughs) Um, Does he, I feel like he has like, this is, you know, I feel like he has way fewer like point of view chapters than other characters, but I could be wrong about no, that. Does that, that ring that true to you? Right. Yeah, like, yeah, I feel like the book does very smart things about like who it's focusing on, both in terms of what's the most interesting narrative to follow at any particular moment, but also in terms of like guiding your um, interest in specific people and mm. um, what what you identify with in the book. I feel like that was incredibly vague and that's partially because of spoilers and partially because I read this book a little while ago, you know, it, it was only a few months, but it's, it's been a few years since those since a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every day is decades and every like, you know, week goes by in an instant. So <laughs> abolish time right like we don't got no more of that there shit. we go <laughs> time has no meaning uh, we got there <laughs> cool um, that's how i mean that that is like i mean this is like right i mean you know i don't know about the listener but you two have absolutely sold me on this book because <laughs> i like it is everything you're talking about it's like oh wait you're telling me it gets even better than the thing you told me before <laughs> um, it does it's fucked <laughs> yeah that's like unfair <laughs> mm. <laughs> no that sounds really fascinating i mean like i mean like i said earlier i mean there's you know 
there's this like type of science fiction that I tend to call literary science fiction, which I don't like. I know a lot of especially science fiction fans use that as almost like a pejorative term, like, oh, like science fiction written by a literary author who never like read science fiction. But in my mind, mm-hmm. it's always science fiction that has like a real like cares about its characters and like the internal lives of its characters that takes sort of this like literary approach to writing characters and character driven novels, not plot driven novels. Um, even though like plot is important and like especially in science fiction plot is like really important um but like having that piece of you know like awareness of the characters and the point of view through which you're seeing the story and also the like you know people who are enacting the plot um it's just like something i i love like a good like to me a good book is one where it's like it's not that i even have to like the characters right like that is often i think like this kind of like approachable or likable characters like I don't, know, I don't really give a shit, honestly. Like I was just on this other <laughs> podcast talking about Svetlana Alexievich's secondhand time, which is like a nonfiction novelish thing written. Like, you know, it's her interviewing people who lived through the fall of the Soviet Union about their experiences, like, you know, before the fall, during the fall, and after the fall. So living in the Soviet Union and living after it. And like, you know, I would say like the majority of the people are not like people I would like or like want to hang out with or like, you know, or even like particularly like good people, (laughs) but they are all super real people and their stories are very much like an individual person's stories and experiences. And like, to me, like that is a much more interesting experience reading than it is like, Oh, this person's cool. I want to be their friend. Like, yeah, like protagonist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I don't know. I, you know, it's not to say that like, I want to hate all the characters or anything, obviously, but like, you know, <laughs> it's much more interesting to read about, like real well-developed people than it is to read about archetypes or like read, you know, what can sometimes come off to me at least as like, you know, an author almost like pandering to me of like, Oh, you like this kind of person. Don't you? I'm like, don't, I, I don't give mm-hmm. a shit. <laughs> that, that is the, the young adult problem for me. Like a hundred percent. Right. Just like, right. Yeah. Um, I think it's also like worth saying that there is like, that we all read for different reasons at different parts of our lives. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if we, you know, consistently are reading, um, I think there's, there's definitely a, a usefulness. I, I think of it in terms of modeling often of just like fiction can sort of model ways of living for us. Uh, if we choose to use it that way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what you need is a model of like, what it would look like to have a good friend who you actually like. Mm -hmm. Um, I am thinking of myself in like high school, like when I had a lot of friends, most of whom I really disliked, um, but I didn't know that at the time. Mm. And like learning, I mean, the way you actually learn that is you meet people who you actually like and you hang out with them and you learn what that looks like, but you can sort of fiction can help bridge that gap. Right. And in the same way, like sometimes what you need is like a way to not humanize, uh, you know, your enemies but like understand them better so you can defeat them more thoroughly <laughs> <Let's say. laughs> i feel like f- i'm talking about capitalists right, 100%. <laughs> I, I feel like one thing fiction like i think about fiction and like the degree to which you can learn from it per se a lot and like i think over the years i've come more and more to the conclusion that like it's not that you can like learn new things from fiction that well but fiction can give you a very good way of like either recognizing something when it actually does happen to you or like recontextualizing stuff that happened to you in the past, right? Like it can give you frameworks to understand things in the real world, but it's not going to like teach you about things in the real world. If that's a distinction that makes any sense to anyone outside of my own stupid head. I feel like in this conversation, it makes me think about um, how consent is portrayed in the book. Mm. Which, like, although there is an uncomfortable, there is some uncomfortable sex, like, I did greatly respect um, her portrayal of, like, consensual sex Hmm. um, later in the novel. Um, Mm. Or even just, yeah, I I thought it was very, like, effective. And that was, like, something I feel a teen would appreciate reading as opposed Mm. to, like, you know, abstinence only i feel like she gives a glimpse of like this is what it like this is if you're ever uncomfortable it might look like this if you are trying Mm -hmm. to like 
intentionally have this experience like this is how it might look and that's it's cool. seeming like yeah. fair mm-hmm. yeah you've talked i i think like the phrase uncomfortable sex has come up a few times does that mean that it's like explicitly unconsensual or like vaguely consensual or just like sex that's bad which you it's know, like a bad first happens. time kind of stuff right you know it's like yeah. you go for it and you you don't really know what you're doing but it happens anyways you know <laughs> yeah it's and I, I yeah i know i think i i went with uncomfortable sex in the like document specifically to distinguish it from explicitly non-consensual sex right and or rape like that i i do not believe that happens in this book same um there is definitely some yeah some stuff early on that is hard to describe that um i don't know could very well be triggering for some folks but i think is and this is the thing with trigger warnings is like it no matter how well it's handled it it might be a trigger right Right. yeah right that's um, fair but like i yeah it is i think handled very i guess delicately and like um thoughtfully mm-hmm. is, is probably a better word mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's you know kind of why i like to frame them as content warnings instead of necessarily just trigger warnings because like triggers are very personal like i know like i get triggered by shit that like it's not objectively a thing anyone else should be able to know will have right right like but then also yep you know, there's stuff as well. It's not necessarily about like, you know, triggering as much as it is like this can be uncomfortable and knowing about it beforehand can actually like help put you in the right mindset to appreciate it for what it's doing, regardless of your like yeah. background with that stuff. So no, I know I appreciate kind of bringing that up, but I guess, you know, just wanted to be a little bit explicit because I don't, you know. Yeah. Thank you for asking for clarification yeah. there because yeah, I definitely meant to and then uh, got just excited about talking about this dang book that i like a lot <laughs> no it's very good i mean that's the that's the best kind of podcast is excited <laughs> podcasting um mm, mm, i don't know y'all's episode on what was it uh the sparrow was that the book yeah well that was excited it was just you know like <laughs> <laughs> not in a positive way i was definitely excited let's put it that way and the like okay, you know yeah, literal word meaning of the word excite <laughs> i mean that 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 episode sold me on this podcast I, I feel like y'all should do another book you hate at some point i mean we did do i felt bad about this because it just won the hugo but the um like the episode on uh oh what was what was the name of the book um a memory called empire i was like so I, surprised that one yeah i wasn't at all surprised because i like follow <laughs> everyone who votes in these things and it was clearly <laughs> the winner but like yikes i i have some thoughts about that novel and they are not nice i mean i haven't read it but it sounded dry as hell and i know that book was remaindered in the before times <laughs> we were selling that book like six dollars hardback <laughs> really oh interesting whoa um well there's the tea on you know <laughs> the bookseller world. <laughs> the guys over at assets and android actually like recently did a podcast about the book where they like it called like called out like my review of it as like you know like we liked this book but adrian's review of the politics was like right on let's like talk about it in like a much better terms than he did himself and so you know if folks want like a much better critique than i gave i would actually recommend that podcast as opposed to my own <laughs> uh because they're were they the yeah were they the folks who did the interview with nino Cipri? yes exactly or was that, yeah, that was yes. them yeah that that was really that was also a very good episode of their podcast and yeah. also nino is the shit i know i know <laughs> well your episode with them was really great too so i i yeah if, if you want to hear me giggle for an hour <laughs> and like ask incoherent questions like yeah which it's great. i mean who doesn't <laughs> <laughs> me right. the answer is me and i had to edit it <laughs> fair but the answer who does is our audience so you know keep them coming <laughs> b <laughs> content for the content gods (laughs) your laugh is one of your more endearing qualities whether you like it or not it's i see i agree with you in person and i 
I don't understand how anyone finds it appealing over over a recorded medium. <laughs> it sounds so much different to me, but like that is also just how voices sound. So whatever. I know all this stuff. I've been editing fucking myself talking for like six years. <laughs> I don't know why I like can't just accept that I'm cute sometimes. Because <laughs> then you would have to like yourself a little bit. And that's the hardest thing of all. <laughs> <laughs> wow we're really fucking... digging into the themes of do you dream of charity <laughs> it's a book about psychology right <laughs> uh, oh. yeah anyway <laughs> I'm not talking about myself I promise <laughs> oh Okay. Yep. Um, <laughs> so it sounds like this will be a very good book to read. Um, unless there is anything else, we should probably leave it at that and, you know, let folks get to reading. Um, <laughs> after I, you know, cut out my shitting on other books for 10 minutes, <laughs> this needs to happen. Uh, why would you cut that? Uh, I've already done it for two hours <laughs> on a different episode. <laughs> I guess that's fair. <laughs> quick, Estelle, make a very good joke so that Adrian can't cut anything. <laughs> I really yeah. like the Expanse's take on this novel. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Damn. Okay. I was working on it. A few seconds before yeah. you asked. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So do we have, are there any sort of, you know, final thoughts or like, you know, I, I mean, I think we've done a good job of selling this novel and anyone who doesn't want to read it is a chump and should read it anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, any like final thoughts or like, you know, maybe things to look forward to, you know, sort of like the book clubby, like, oh, like pay attention to this, you know, like kind of, you know, I just want, I, go I you go, go ahead. Oh, I just want like jumping back a little bit to what Estelle was talking about earlier in terms of like magical realism and sort of faith mm -hmm. stuff. Um, I think I think that is actually a thing that is, you know, not maybe not worth like you shouldn't read it as though it's the like the key to the whole book or whatever. But there is definitely something about the way that um, the sort of un apparently unscientific things happening in the book get um get dealt with or like come to conclusions in ways that i find really really gratifying and like um exciting honestly cool. like there's a there's a face let's say mm -hmm. i mean i'm on the record a bunch uh, like really loving that kind of stuff in science fiction when science fiction can deal with like faith because it's an important part of the human experience and why would you not um, and so I'm really excited for that. It's done very well. I mean, just to clarify, I'm a 100% atheist and have been my whole life. <laughs> but I felt satisfied with Timmy's like mm -hmm. uh, depiction of like faith and like, but yeah, these non-scientific phenomenon. Yeah, I I also have been very atheist my entire life. So I guess maybe that is like, if you're a person of deep faith and find the use of these things uh, false, like I would, I would, I would be interested in hearing about that from y'all, but like, I don't know there is a, there is a, there's a depth of humanity and like serious attention to people in that, in, in the way that, that faith and not broadly non-scientific things are portrayed that I think is, is is just true of the whole novel right mm. it does all of these things very well but that's like one particular thread that stays through it and is done very well and also i feel like i keep cutting you off estelle because yeah <laughs> sorry that's it that's all i had uh well i'm very much looking forward to reading the book picking it up here um so you know thanks so much um estelle for coming on for the first time and b obviously for you know coming on and like co-hosting and helping out through quarantine and everything in particular it's been really appreciated um you know Hell follow yeah. the abolish time instagram i will like link that do it do it do it's it. really cool it's really do cool it. have you ever read an instagram zine before didn't think so 
Are you going to today? <laughs> I think so. Yes. Yes, you are. Um, and I'll also link to Be and Estelle's Patreons down below. Go check it out. There's some really cool, you know, content for the content gods down there. The content gods <laughs> being you, listener. The audience is the <laughs> eldritch force that is the content god. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, thanks to WJ for our music, this cool spacey shit you're listening to right now. Um, you know, uh, we are on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Spectology Pod is the like Spectology Twitter. Um, Spectology.com is our uh, website. You can find the podcast there as well as like iTunes, blah, blah, blah. Rate, review, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the shit everyone tells you to do. Um, and yeah. Oh, and if you want to email us, I always actually do appreciate emails. And, you know, it's uh, SpectologyPod at gmail.com. And, you know, if you read the book and like anything about it or dislike anything about it and want to tell us, email. And I will, you know, probably bring it up and chat about it in the post read, which we will do at some vague point in the future because what does time mean anyway these days <laughs> um yeah so thank you b thank you estelle thanks so much both of you for coming on i yeah. really appreciate it it's a lot of fun thanks for hosting yeah this was yeah. fun my pleasure i'm glad i got to finally be on a pre-read <laughs> yeah this is our first i've, isn't I've, it? I've completed the the trifecta right. of gone backwards in... <laughs> excellent well thanks everyone bye bye see ya